When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Hey, that was somewhere in the middle, but on the side of bad. I wouldn't say pretty bad. It was just a loss that the Raptors have to endure once again. Missing Ken Birch, missing Gary Trent Jr., missing OG Ananobi. And on a night like tonight, you could tell really, really feeling that they were uh, devoid of what they provide. And even though it was a good defensive game, and even though Yuta Watanabe came back and I think Pascal Siakam had one of his better defensive games since returning to the lineup, despite the five fouls. The Raptors had to try and navigate a Grizzlies defense that is very potent without John Morant. Like they, John Morant has registered since he's come into the league as one of the worst defenders every single year. And what the, the Grizzlies did was they lost his offense, yes, and Jaw is great and deserves love. But they also get to supplement his defense with somebody who is far better at defense than he is. And so the Raptors had a tough time navigating what the Grizzlies were doing defensively, particularly with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. having a hell of a game. He made the distance between the ball handler and the rim look like a chasm, like something that is out of the odyssey, right? That you are now Odysseus, and what lays before you is a journey of untold proportions that will take you to the end of your wits and the end of your physicality. Like, it's just difficult, man. He is a large... Uh, Michael Grange uh, tweeted out that he he saw Jaron Jackson Jr. weigh in, and he weighed in at 267 pounds. He's listed at 240. And so I'm going to trust Grange on this one. This guy, his movement ability at basically 270, he's playing the same position as Pascal Siakam, who's 230, and at times Pascal weighs at like 220. He's a massive human being. And there's a reason Pascal got blocked three times at the rim. And it was all Jaron Jackson Jr. is because Pascal's trying to lean in and use his finesse, use his length to get there. And he has a little bit of that. He he grinds up against Jaron just a little bit. And Jaron asserts his weight. And Pascal starts to feel it. So Jaron, he, he asserts his weight. That bump doesn't do much. And that 270-pound body with that wingspan comes in and whap just swats the hell out of the shot at the rim. And it wasn't just Pascal. And Pascal deserves a lot of credit for how he navigated the inside of the Grizzlies defense, especially late in the game. It was phenomenal. But here's the thing. It wasn't just Pascal. The Raptors could not score at the rim in this game, basically. Yes, some hook shots were made. Yes, there was a layup every once in a while. Maybe we got a dunk. Totally. 
But here's the thing, man. It was tough in there. Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr., big bodies, contesting stuff in there. And on the other side of the floor to start the game, they were just eating everything up. Offensive rebounds. They didn't even need Jaws offense early because the Raptors were forfeiting so many offensive boards and so many extra possessions that they were just, okay, we get a put back here. We get a relocation three-point attempt here. They're just churning out possessions, kind of like what the Raptors, their ethos is, right? They want to win the possession differential. They don't want to turn it over. They want to turn the other team over, and they want to get offensive rebounds. They want more possessions because per whatever database they looked at, if you have a plus-five possession differential, that means really good things. Those teams win a very high percentage of the games. Of course, those teams weren't built with those metrics in mind. That's a byproduct of how they played, and the Raptors are kind of trying to jerry-rig their way to it. That's something to notice, of course. But the Grizzlies, it was a byproduct of their size and their ability to do it in this game. And so they had a few other things going on, and early they just dominated the Raptors in that style of play. By the way, uh, yeah, this is the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm Rose Samson Folk. And yes, you're joining me after the Raptors lost to the Memphis Grizzlies. Disappointing, to say the least, especially without John Morant. They're... Uh, the way that the Grizzlies play, it, it changed quite dramatically. Obviously, John Morant is not, he's, he's not heliocentric, truly. He doesn't have as much of the offense as a guy like Trey Young or Luka Doncic, but he has very high usage relative to a lot of his peers in the league. And now that he's gone from the, you know, from the roster, well, not the roster currently, he's not in the lineup. He's injured. And I, God, I hope he gets back as soon as possible because he's so much fun. But the Raptors, they had to try and navigate a very strong defensive team this new-look Grizzlies for the time being. And they really struggled with it. It wasn't until the second half when I believe it was the non-Freds, non-Pascals. So everybody not named Fred or Pascal, they were shooting 6 of 27, I believe, in the first half. And then they went on a stretch in the third quarter that brought them relatively even in the game where they started shooting 13 of 38. And that's not incredible or anything like that, but it's significantly better then 6 of 27. It's a nice stretch of shooting around like 55 to 65% where the Raptors, the secondary guys like Yuta Watanabe, like Delano Banton, those guys hit some shots, Chris Boucher even. Those guys hit a couple of shots and the Raptors are able to kind of get back into it because they're not completely dependent on Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet hitting shots. And they were carrying early. Of course, they weren't carrying to great effect. The Raptors were down big. They were getting absolutely bludgeoned on the, on the opposite end of the floor, and they couldn't, get, they couldn't close out defensive possessions. The, and the defense at the rim in particular was pretty poor. I think the, for a long part of the game, the Grizzlies were shooting like 70% there. That's pretty high for a team to shoot at the rim, for the record. If you have a guard, like De'Aaron Fox has had a couple of years where he shot 70% at the rim, and that's like, holy hell, this guy's incredible. And then there are guys like Mitchell Robinson or Rashawn Holmes when they're at the rim. Basically, they have easy shots fed to them when they're within three feet and they just dunk everything. Same with Giannis. And yeah, like those guys shoot like 95%. The Raptors were shooting like 30% at the rim. Big shout out to Jaron Jackson Jr. And the Grizzlies were sitting somewhere around like uh, 70%. Big disparity for a very important part of the floor. And while... You know, the Raptors, they continued to try and work. And it really, it clicked in the third quarter because they played a lot of Banton. They had Yuta Watanabe. They had Scotty Barnes. They were rangy. They were getting turnovers. They are getting out in transition. And that also happened to couple with, I would think, you know, some sloppiness from the Grizzlies. Some of their shots didn't fall either. 
And that's the, you know, that's the pace. That's the ebb and flow of the NBA game is that these teams, try as they might, you can't just force basketball. I mean, sometimes you can, and that's why some players get paid the absolute biggest bucks because they can just force basketball, and it's a hell of a thing to be able to do. And it's something that Pascal did for a short stretch in the fourth quarter, the seven straight points. Uh, I believe he assisted or scored on 15 out of their 24 in the frame. It was really impressive close for him if only he had been able to hit uh, either of his three-point looks that he had. That was disappointing. But yeah, the, the Raptors in that first half, obviously getting bludgeoned on the one end, struggling on the other because their secondary or tertiary guys aren't really hitting shots. So the the Grizzlies have carte blanche to load up on Fred, to load up on Pascal. And when a team is loading up on you and you, like, you have Jaron Jackson Jr. guarding you and the rest of the team is shading you, you're going to pass out. There's not much you can do. Like, sure, you can, you can put up double-digit shots in the half. You're going to have to shoot jumpers, of course. And there are sometimes you can get you can get Jaron Jackson Jr. to bite on something. Or Fred, if he's being trailed by like Tyus Jones or Dylan Brooks, both really good defenders, and against a dropping Steven Adams, who is serviceable at the very least, and and or Jaron Jackson Jr., there's just not a lot of room. And so the Raptors were squeezed into a place where they could not score the ball. And the Grizzlies similarly felt that squeeze later on. And that was awesome for the Raptors. And a credit to Delano Banton, because I think every single time he comes into the game, he helps affect change most of the time in a positive way as far as play style because he gets the Raptors going fast. He's able to, I think he had six rebounds in this game. Grab them, go, grab, go, grab, go. Push the Raptors who are limited in the, especially in the half court in this game, into a space where we can get shots that don't exist elsewhere. Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, both on the bench. Isak Bonga is in the game. You need to gamble. You need to play great defense. And you still need to be able to hit some steals out of the park and take them to the other side of the court. That's what the Raptors were waiting on. And that's how they survived those minutes without Pascal, without Fred. It was it was something to behold because the defense was really tight and really impressive. But it, also on top of that, Banton being able to push that gives guys like Yuta Watanabe a chance to hit threes against a collapsed defense because he's Banton is just hard charging there, right? Or Scotty Barnes to kind of clear out and get into space. That that swarming defense, you know, Scotty Barnes, he had four blocks in this game, two steals. You know, there were a couple of plays that he was out of position, but his he's a scrambly guy, has been since he entered the NBA, was at Florida State. And hell yeah, dude, he scrambled his way and rotated his way into a bunch of positive defensive plays and existed in the Raptors framework defensively better than he has in a lot of games so far this year. So Scotty being able to once again harness his own creation in that third quarter run a little bit, not as much as in other games because he's not like leading the break. He was more so getting the ball out on the break and this game in particular, we're looking at a guy who a lot of his production came from three-point shots that were created from other players. That And that's not a bad thing. I mean, Scotty Barnes hitting three-point shots is incredible, but that's more a finisher type thing. And what people are looking for maybe sometimes from Scotty is creation for other players, for himself, whatever, right? And that is something that he's still limited in. He He cannot get to all the places on the floor that he wants to get to all the time. He tries for large parts of the game, but the Raptors don't run him in a ton of actions. Sometimes when they do run him in actions, like if he gets a snug pick and roll, it goes terribly. He is operating in, fan in a fantastic fashion when he's operating from the point of advantage. 
His ability to convert on advantage, I think, has been just so awesome this year. Transition, offensive rebounds, reading the floor when it's already tilted in his favor. He's just been dynamite. Like, so damn good. And everybody who's a Raptors fan should be immensely proud of what he's doing. This kid has got it. But of course, he needs to learn how to develop out more creation tools that relies on skill progression, obviously, from him. The handle, how he reads the floor from different spots, all that kind of stuff. But in this game, I think he found a really strong balance. He's not a superstar, so he can't just take over whenever he wants. But the fact that he has a run, basically every game now, that you can call like, hey, that's the Scotty Barnes run. He just did it. And the Raptors are always, always positive during those runs. They're not losing these runs. They're winning them. He's helping defensively and offensively. He, he catches fire for that moment, right? That's fantastic. We should be able to cling on to that as fans, as analysts, and say this is something that's really important because this signifies what he's able to do for pockets of the game. And while he can't just do it all game, because hardly any players can in the NBA, and even those who do have nights off, it's, it's great that he's doing it for at least parts in the game. I mean, he, his usage is way higher than anybody thought it would be. I mean, the projections for his scoring this season were what, like seven, eight points? He's at 15, and probably at 15 and a half. That he's scoring the hell out of the ball, and he's doing it when he's attacking tilted defenses from advantage. And he continues to do that in this game. And once creation comes along, we're going to see those playmaking reads a little bit more and a little bit more. And not to mention, he's also... Pascal missed a really great cut from Scotty early in the game. He really did. And he missed it as the passer. And then and then Scotty threw Pascal lob and Pascal missed the lob. So there are two plays that Scotty did something extremely positive, And I mean extremely positive. Like there should have been four points created from those two plays. Two points per possession on each one, right? Uh, for the analytics. But uh, Pascal whiffed on both of them. He, he looked him off or maybe didn't see him on the cut, and then he he missed the layup on the on the law. But anyway, Scotty, that passing will come along. It's not there yet because he's not creating a ton of advantages by his lonesome. Every once in a while, he'll slide in on a post up, get into a spot where it's nice. He'll have an empty side post up, and he'll just he'll he'll have space to do it. Use that physicality. I think he had one over Brandon Clark today. Really nice to see. But yeah, he he had his moment, and but largely the Raptors. It was like a collection of Fred and Pascal lifting early on in the game. Scotty and Co. really helping. Scotty and Utah, I would actually say, really helping through the middle part. That that jump shot coming around for Utah. I mean, he had 11 points in this one. He had three threes. He's a phenomenal defender. That's all the Raptors can really hope for from him. If he does that every game, you're looking at just an immensely positive role player. Like a guy who could play... If, if Scotty shoots 40, not Scotty, sorry. If Utah shoots 40% from three on like five attempts a game, and he took eight tonight, but like five attempts a game, and he's probably good for a layup because he does get on the offensive glass. He is opportunistic there. He's a good cutter. He'll get out and transition a little bit. You're looking at like between seven to 10 points every game or so. And of course, you can't just like set your watch to that. But you know what I mean? That would be incredibly valuable because of the defense he provides on the other end. He's such a dependable defender, and that can even ratchet up to like all NBA level, depending on the scheme he's in, depending who he's kind of playing with, who shares the same side of the floor as him when they're Xing out or closing out or, you know, scram switching and stuff like that. Hell yeah for Utah. Hell yeah for Scotty. And then the end of the game, the Raptors, that defense, they just could not hold on. 
And it, their defense deserves a lot of credit for what they did tonight. But it just, the Raptors' offense, really, I talked about it a little bit earlier, 15 of the 24 points in the fourth quarter, Pascal participated in, assisted, or scored on. He had a run of seven points in a row, but he did miss those open threes at the end. That's something that just needs to drop. And same with Fred. Fred was one of five from downtown, I think. Pascal, I think, finished one for six. Those two guys, if they're going to win close games like this, when the ball settles into their hands and everybody's, you know, the onlookers, defenders, their teammates are saying, this needs to drop, they have to drop. And they didn't in this game. And that's, you know, even though Pascal was fantastic in kind of getting rid of the bait and the shading that the Grizzlies were throwing his way and really settling into a position where he could take Jaron Jackson Jr. one-on-one or Kyle Anderson one-on-one and getting in positions to score, That's where the seven points in a row came from. Nobody created for him. He just took those. He went down into the post, and he did it by negotiating the space down there, getting to a spot where he could show off his touch, which that was one of the better touch games I've seen from him recently. Like, you know, he's a guy who had incredible touch. His ascent as a player, he he really, he could throw anything at the rim. It was like there was a magnet for the ball. And if that's starting to come back, that is a really great indicator for what's to come for his game. But yeah, the shot has to drop. And the defense that they were playing on the other end of the floor, Fred plays 42 minutes in this game. Pascal only plays 30. It's because Pascal had to play with five fouls for I think the last six minutes. And he only played like two minutes before he went from four fouls to five. And the Raptors defense in this game and in a lot of games, if he's playing that five position or even the four against like a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr., it dictates that he's in motion a lot. That means he's catching up. That means he's trying to problem solve. And it puts him in a position where he can foul on a lot of possessions. In this game, though, I think he deserves a bit of blame for some lackadaisical fouls. They weren't the necessary, like, hard rotation trying to stop a guy at the rim. He had a couple reach-ins and one blocking foul that just, if you want to stay on the floor, Pascal, you cannot do that. That is, it just, you can't, you can't do that. Your team needs you. Fred is playing 42. Nick Nurse wants to win these games. Everybody out there wants to win these games. Pascal, I think when he was on the floor, I was really happy with how he played. Really, really happy. But the thing is, he wasn't on the floor enough tonight. You have to be available. And playing 30 minutes and 23 seconds is not going to cut it. Even if you have a great game passing, pushing in transition, collapsing the defense and finding guys. Even if you navigate Jaron Jackson Jr.'s huge body and wingspan at the rim, and get to a place where you can give the Raptors 20 points on middling efficiency. And he didn't get to the line either. It was just a, it's a tough night to get anything. The Raptors were only 12 free throw attempts in this game. The Grizzlies played awesome defense. And I know some people might say like, well, the Grizzlies are the worst ranked defense. This is a different defense when Jaw Morant isn't in the lineup. It's also a different offense, but it's a much different defense. Jaw is a really terrible defender. And taking Tyus Jones, a super positive defender, and putting him in for Jaw, there's a reason it looked a lot different than he usually does. And like the Anthony Melton, man, he's a fantastic defender at the guard position too. Both he, I think like they combined for six of 23 from the floor, Tyus and DeAnthony, but their defense was just awesome tonight. So you win some, you lose some. The Raptors in this one ended up losing, but man. Uh, Reggie Evans Award, I'm giving it to Yuta Watanabe. 11 points, 6 boards. Banton was also in consideration for this one, but uh, I'm giving it to Yuta. I, I really enjoy what he does out there on the floor, and it is always looked to me 
like a guy who's just reading the game so well. And if he has a little bit more confidence in his own skills, in his shot, which he definitely, he was ready to fling it tonight. I hope that somebody talked to him and he said, okay, I understand. I'm going to shoot the hell out of the ball. Because sometimes he can be a little bit passive. And getting downhill, passing out, that kind of stuff. Nice to see. Top quick reaction comment from Spanish Superfly. Quote, I don't mind Scotty's antics. Call it part of the rookie experience, young and dumb. The way I see it, I don't want him showing other players too much respect or being too nice. It's an arrogance that reflects his confidence and competitive nature in himself and a total disregard for the opposition. Give it time and he'll discover how to hone that energy in the proper manner. End quote. Yeah, I mean, you can win and you can behave a lot of different ways towards uh, teammates, towards uh, opponents and that kind of stuff. Like, it's there is no blueprint. There's no you don't just attribute like Mamba mentality to a bunch of players and like you know LeBron James hangs out with a bunch of players and he's won championships. Giannis famously, uh, he, Giannis doesn't hang out with other players. He likes to keep his edge. But also on the other side of it, he's a guy who is very soft and is very like willing to embrace like his defeats and stuff like that. Before he won the chip last year, there's that. That wonderful little soliloquy he went into where he's like, I've seen it all. I've airballed free throws. I've lost four in a row in the playoffs. I've done this, this, and that. And he's like, yeah, I've just been losing, man. And people critiqued his game, and he didn't do anything different. He just was himself. And so it wasn't like it's progression in different ways. And Scotty, I mean, he might catch a fade someday. He really might. It is one of the most arrogant things in the NBA currently if not the most. Like, I can't imagine that sits well with veterans. But also, it's a true expression of how he enjoys the game of basketball. He loves basketball. You can tell. And, you know, he's effervescent. He cannot he cannot rein in that personality. That personality is a big part of how he interfaces with the game. And, yeah, I'm on, I'm on the same side as you. I don't mind it. Although, I, I, don't, I don't care about him being nice to, like, the other team or anything like that. I mean... There's a lot of guys who find like a lot of success and they're nice all the time to the other team. That's I don't think there's like a correlation between being nice or mean to the opponents and winning. But if this is the way that he likes to play basketball, if this is that if this is how he shows his edge, cool man. Do your thing. Spanish Superfly, thanks for writing in. Listener, thanks for listening. Whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>